3: That's not how it goes?
7: That's not how
0: anything goes.
3: Yemi's yeah, really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe
0: that. Charlamagne is the
8: wild card.
9: And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid.
8: I know that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you?
9: Oh. Listen to the Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 1067 The
10: Beat. Columbus is real hip hop and RB.
6: It is Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. The Senate held its first hearing on the For the People Act today. We'll show you some of what happened, including Republicans showing their asses as usual. Two massive voter suppression bills are being rushed through the Georgia legislature. We'll talk about what we can do to stop it. Jury selection, the Derek Chauvin murder trial is complete. The trial is scheduled to begin on Monday. And today, finally, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan signs the five- 177 million dollar HBCU funding bill we've been fighting for for years and Virginia they have voted to abolish the death penalty we'll be joined by Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax our black tech segment will feature an app that helps you when you're pulled over by the police and today's crazy ass white woman is Cindy Hyde-Smith we'll show you why And what the hell was Meghan McCain talking about? Qualifications? Identity politics? Boo, you got the job on the view because your last name. Oh, I got to break this thing down. It is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. is the focus. That was the issue today as the U.S. Senate had their first hearing for the For the People Act. It is the most significant democracy reform bill since the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Republicans, of course, are not happy at all with what that particular bill. Here's what took place today.
11: This bill is the single most dangerous bill this committee has ever considered. This bill is designed to corrupt the election process permanently And it is a brazen and shameless power grab by Democrats. It speaks volumes that this is HR1 and S1, that the number one priority of Democrats is not COVID, it's not immunizations, it's not getting people back to work, it's not getting kids back in school, it's keeping Democrats in power for 100 years. And how do they do this? They do this by instituting a bill that will promote widespread fraud and illegal voting. Under this bill, there is automatic registration of anybody if you get a driver's license, if you get a welfare payment, if you get an unemployment payment, if you attend a public university. Now, everyone knows there are millions of illegal aliens who have driver's licenses, who are getting welfare benefits, who attend public universities. This bill is designed to register every one of those illegal aliens. General Rokita. What would the impact be in state elections of automatically registering millions of illegal aliens to vote?
12: Well, this despite the
6: cost and, uh, and everything in the system, it's it would dilute it would dilute the votes, of, uh, the votes of every citizen who is supposed to be voting.
13: So they want voter turnout. They want more people to participate and
12: you cannot vote in this country unless you're a United States citizen in a federal election.
11: And the bill explicitly says, if an illegal alien is registered to vote under its provisions, even though it's illegal for him to vote, that illegal alien will not be liable. So it anticipates, the Democrats here anticipate and their desired effect is to register millions of illegal aliens. Is that correct, General Rokita? Yes. But it's not just illegal aliens. This bill is designed to get criminals to vote. A great many states across this country prohibit felons from voting. This bill strikes down all those laws. This bill says if you're a murderer, if you're a rapist, if you're a child molester, we the Democrats want you voting. Every one of those state laws is struck down. Is that right, General Rokita?
12: That's correct. And if they don't get their way, then they sue the state, as I referenced in my earlier answer.
11: So apparently the Democrats have determined that if millions of illegal aliens get to vote, if millions of criminals get to vote, that that will benefit Democrats because they understand that that criminals and illegal aliens are much, much more likely to vote for Democrats. Is that correct?
12: Yes. In the wake of the November elections, one of the safest in recent history, Republican-led led, Republican led state legislatures have seized on the former president's big lie that the election was stolen and introduced more than 250 bills in 43 states aimed at tightening voting rules under the guise, the guise, of election integrity. Instead of doing what you should be doing when you lose an election in a democracy, attempting to win over those voters in the next election, Republicans instead are trying to disenfranchise those voters. Shame on them. In Iowa, where college students often rely on the flexibility provided by early and mail-in voting, the Republican legislature voted to cut early voting by nine days, close polls an hour earlier, and tighten rules on absentee voting. In Wisconsin, where urban and rural precincts face vastly different administrative burdens, Republicans have proposed limiting ballot box, ballot drop boxes to only one municipality, no matter what its size could be 10,000 voters in a rural Republican county or 500,000 voters in an urban Democratic voting, county. One ballot drop box in Arizona, no fewer than 22 separate measures to limit voting rights have been introduced, including a bill to require every absentee ballot to be notarized. How are poor people going to pay for a notary when there's virtually no indication of fraud?
4: The question was, he was wondering why on Sundays, Georgia would not participate in an electoral process of gathering signatures, of registration and things on Sunday. And I would just like to respond to that, Georgia is a southern state just like Mississippi. I cannot speak for Georgia, but I can speak for Mississippi on why we would never do that on a Sunday or hold an election on a Sunday? You know, this is our currency. This is a dollar bill. This says the United States of America, in God we trust. Etched in stone in the U.S. Senate chamber is in God we trust. When you swore in all of these witnesses, the last thing you said to them in your instructions was, so help you, God. In God's word in Exodus 20:18. It says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So that is my response to Senator The turnout
14: in 2020 was up 7%. The turnout in the 2020 election was the highest since 1900. Uh, States are not engaging in trying to suppress uh, voters whatsoever. This is clearly an effort by one party to rewrite the rules of our political system. But even more immediately, it would create an implementation nightmare, as Senator Blunt pointed out, that would drown state and local officials who run elections. This proposal needs all the scrutiny it can get, and I'm glad we're all here to give it that scrutiny. This legislation would forcibly rewrite the election laws of all 50 states from here in Washington. Popular policies, like voter ID requirements, would be banned unless states neutered them with loopholes. Meanwhile, unpopular and absurd practices, like ballot harvesting, where paid political operatives can show up carrying stacks of other people's ballots,
15: would not- I take exception to the comments that you just made, Mr. Rokita, that public concern regarding the integrity of the recent election is born of anything but a deliberate and sustained misinformation campaign led by a vain former president unwilling to accept his own defeat, who rather than observing the sacred tradition and necessary process of a peaceful transition of power for a losing candidate for the presidency, undertook a scorched earth effort to undermine public confidence in the integrity of our elections that was so dramatic and so destructive that it culminated in a violent assault on the United States Capitol.
9: The Act is the right remedy at the right time. This bill recognizes that the best solution to abolishing the undemocratic trinity of issues plaguing our democracy, gerrymandering, voter suppression, dark money, is to get rid of all of them at once. By creating a baseline of protection for voters, rooting out corruption and dark money, and ending the practice of partisan gerrymandering, this Congress can create a fair level playing field in our electoral system. This bill also makes evident that Congress should pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which would update the formula for determining which jurisdictions are subject to federal reclearance. Now, taken together, the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act represent the greatest pieces of civil rights legislation since 1965 and are badly needed reforms that will strengthen our democracy. Now, despite what opponents may say, this bill would not not favor either party. To the contrary, it would create a level playing field for the American people. The reality is that no matter what political party you support or what policies you advocate, your voice will be stronger if politicians are required to be responsive to your needs. Now is the time for Congress to exercise its constitutional authority to protect the structure of our representative democracy. Ensuring a true representative democracy is how we advance equality, opportunity, and justice in areas where too many Americans are still let down, left out, and left behind.
6: All right, folks, the For the People Act, of course, passed the House in March, and is the Democrats' answer to the Republican war on voting. More than 250 bills to curtail access to the ballot have been introduced in 43 states. This bill expands voting access through policies like automatic and election day registration and universal mail-in voting and block voting restrictions like new voter ID laws and discriminatory voter purges. Denny Hawkins-Hagler, former Georgia State representative. Uh, We're joining us along with Kelly Bethia, communications strategist, Mustafa Santelgo Ali, Ph.D., former senior advisor for the Environmental Justice EPA uh, as well. And so glad to have uh, all three of you here. Uh, let's uh, start with you uh, first, um, uh, D. Hawkins. I'm sorry, D. Dawkins. This is very interesting. Sitting at Ted Cruz, oh, it's going to be voter fraud. Donald Trump had an entire panel, an election commission, voter fraud they found? Zero. The most substantive voter fraud that we have seen in America in the last decade took place by Republicans in North Carolina that was so scandalous, they threw the election results out and had a second election. D? They...
8: Well, you're, you're absolutely right, Roland, and thank you for having me. I mean, what they have trying to do is gaslight their uh, conti- constituency base. It is unfounded, all the accusations they have made, and it is really quite pathetic what they are doing uh, at the United States Capitol. I mean, it's very egregious. How dare they try to make it seem like uh, we are trying to steal elections when we know First of all, you had it in North Carolina, and then even in Georgia, between all the purging of votes, and now all of these bills that they're trying to get passed in these 43 states, it is just downright disgusting. And I, for one, hope that they do away with the filibuster in the Senate so we can get on with uh, For the People Act and the John Lewis Advancement Act, we, with Gordon Rice Act. we got to get on with the business at hand and stop placating to Republicans who don't really care about anyone but themselves.
6: A thing here, uh, Mustafa is to to listen to this righteous indignation is beyond laughable. It's beyond laughable because they know they're lying. They know it's voter suppression. They know exactly what they're doing. And they want to sit here and, oh, my God, it is going to allow the illegal aliens to vote and all of that. They have not found a scintilla of evidence of voter fraud, and all of these so-called election integrity units are all trash.
16: It's been trash since, what was it, Chris Kobach and the commission tried to prove, and so many of us came out and pushed back against them across the country, um, and they wasted millions of dollars. The Republicans know that they're in trouble. They know they're in trouble because the demographics in our country is changing. They're in trouble because they can't get policy right. If you actually created policies that resonated with folks, then they would come to your party and they would support it. You know, there were so many things in that clip that we watched that were that were so wrong. You know, let's co- let's just correct a couple of things real quick. First of all, the Sabbath is on Saturday. If you uh, have any theologian history in your background, then you know that the Jewish Sabbath is on Saturday. You know, and then also, You know, it's interesting that we are supposed to be the beacon of democracy for the world, and we love to rush to another country when they are falling short in that space. But when it comes to our own country, instead of standing up for democracy, trying to strengthen democracy, making sure that everyone uh, actually has the opportunity to vote by making sure that they're automatically registered and they can opt out if they didn't want to, Republicans are not interested in that. Republicans are interested in holding on to power into creating policy that does not represent the whole country but just those uh, individuals that they see value in. And that's the reason that they find themselves in the moment that they do, where they are losing ground. They looked at, you know, ALEC and uh, the Heritage Fund for years, we've talked about this on the show before, have been putting together, you know, these strategies on how to hold on to power. And now in this moment, they're realizing that this is their last gasp, this is their last effort and being able to hold onto that power. Now, the question is, what are Democrats going to do? So as Dee just shared with folks, if you are willing to allow them to continue to play these games, to create false narratives, you are setting yourself up to not be able to move forward on any of those very ambitious and needed sets of actions and goals that you have shared with the country and the reason people came out and voted for you. So, I mean, if you're not going to go ahead and deal with what's necessary to deal with in relationship to the filibuster, and you're going to let these folks to continue to get up in front of America and create these false narratives without being checked, then we're going to end up getting what we get.
6: The thing here, um, uh, Kelly, is that when you listen to all of these Republicans, and and again, uh, as uh, Schumer said, yo, if y'all want to compete... Compete with ideas. But don't try to rig the process. We're gonna discuss it neck in the next segment. But in Georgia, they literally are trying to get rid of runoff weekend voting. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're sitting in rooms. Hmm, when did black people vote? So let's in North Carolina, when when The laws were declared unconstitutional. The Republicans in North Carolina literally said, When do black people vote early? Oh, 70% of African Americans vote early during the first week of uh, early voting. Okay, so we're going to restrict early voting to one location per county the first several weeks and then expand it later on. They literally put it on paper. I ain't fooled by these white Republicans. They don't want black people to vote. They are simply playing a Jim Crow playbook. And if you're Tom Cotton or Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell, uh, don't call us racist, well, don't act like racist.
7: Hmm. Kelly? I mean, the, this entire scheme is rooted not just in racism, but in whiteness specifically. And by the examples that you just stated, it, it proves that, right? So for me, it's, it's really just frustrating and expected for Ted Cruz to basically gaslight an entire meeting with the senators saying that, oh, these illegal aliens are going to be voting. Everybody who's not supposed to be voting is going to be voting, as opposed to changing the policy that Republicans, frankly, need to do in order to win. And as I said on your show before, Republicans have been losing this game of garnering American support for a very long time. Why? Because it's rooted in racism and whiteness. But instead of changing the players within the party, they want to change the game altogether um, because that's the only way they're going to win and preserve the whiteness that is the Republican Party at this point. So like you said, we're going to talk about it in the next segment, but in Georgia, like They're doing the same thing in Georgia. They're doing it all throughout the Bible Belt. And for anyone to say that this is not rooted in Jim Crow, I think Stacey Abrams said last week, this is Jim Crow in a suit. You know, it's not going to outright say, let's block out black vote. But that's exactly what it's doing for the uh, woman senator to outright say something along the lines of, you know, we're not doing this on Sunday because we got to protect the Sabbath. Well, that's a crockable because the Sabbath is on Saturday for many people, including white people who are seventh day, as well as Jewish people and other people who celebrate the Sabbath on a Saturday. But they're not talking about getting rid of it on a Saturday, they're only talking about it on Sunday because that's when a majority of black people exercise that right. So when you look at it, it is not anything more than Jim Crow, it is not anything more than just reinstating whiteness, reinstating racism, And the Republican Party knows that, and it's on its last leg. It's up to this Senate um, and this Congress to take out the last leg altogether.
6: Uh, Just so folks uh, understand uh, how significant this is, let's go to Georgia, where where we have been focusing on these massive voter suppression bills. Senate Bill 202, House Bill 531, both being rushed through the Georgia legislature, folks, and they're trying to dance around this in terms of what it looks like. Joining me now and talk about what this would mean for voters is, again, where this is going nationally is, uh, is it a clean up? Condoker?
0: Yes, it is. Okay, Thank so, you. Georgia
6: State Director of All Voting Is Local. Glad to have you on the show. Uh, let's get right to it. Uh, again, Republicans, they are trying to say, oh, no, we, 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 we did, we're not cutting back on early voting. But the reality is you see what they're doing. I mean, and so they're playing games here, and they're trying to keep as many people from knowing about this. They're rushing it through, no real hearings. And this is why Black Voters Matter has been saying to the business community, y'all have got to step up.
0: That's absolutely right. There's been no transparency throughout this entire process, we haven't seen a fiscal note. We haven't seen a racial impact analysis to show that there is some thoughtfulness behind any of these bills. The only thing that we see is they are rushing through passing these bills on supposed claims of issues surrounding our elections, unsubstantiated claims with no evidence, no research, no data to make clear that there is something rooted in fact pushing these bills. We understand that since we saw turnout soar in the black community over our runoff elections and over our general elections, this pushed and really informed a lot of the legislation that we're seeing now. We're seeing direct attacks against black voters and direct a- attacks in counties where we have a majority black community that now will suffer under these new bills.
6: And and the thing what, that, that is even more laughable from Republicans uh, on on this one, and, and how silly, and how silly they are, um, is that they have no proof. All of this, fraud, fraud, no. The only fraud is you lost. They literally can't handle losing. Let's go back 2016. Donald Trump lost the Iowa caucus to Ted Cruz. What did Donald Trump say? Rigged. They, they fell for the okey-doke exactly
0: and in georgia we're not falling for it that's why you have groups like black voters matter groups like all voting is local out here trying to keep the public informed because they are doing everything under the cover of darkness i say this because sb202 was originally a two-page document and then on friday we received a leaked document that was over 90 pages and then all of a sudden they pushed it through this week pushed it out of the chamber into rules. And now it's headed for a floor vote that we suppose is going to happen tomorrow. And everything that's in that bill is nothing but prohibitions and restrictions on voting. It will make it more difficult for people to use a drop box. It will eliminate um, a lot of the days that people have to request their ballot and to send it back for working folk for people who are rural voters, for folks that don't have the time to figure out when they need to do things, because Georgia is accustomed to having a lot more time, 180 days, to request your absentee ballot, now shaved down to about 77. Now, that is intentional because we know that most people find this entire process murky. It's untenable to people. And we know that access to information is really difficult for rural voters when everything is available online. And we also know that there is a very important mayoral race happening in November, the Atlanta mayoral race. And so if we plot all these points and we take them all together, we know this is a direct attack against black voters because we know who will use drop boxes. We know who counts on having extended time to return their absentee ballots. And we know who will be the who who will show up for those elections in November. It's a direct attack.
6: Uh, absolutely. Uh, again, we'll be uh, following this and keep putting pressure, let people know exactly what's going on. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Keep fighting. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you for having me.
6: All right, folks. Uh, again, uh, don't, miss, uh, don't, uh, don't just ignore what's going on here, folks. What we're dealing with is real. And trust me, Republicans, they see the train that's coming down the tracks. It sickens them that they lost Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Arizona. They want to suppress votes in Arizona because of Latinos. That's why they're challenging the Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act when the Supreme Court. They're pissed off with black voters in Georgia. They're mad as hell with black voters in Philadelphia. They're mad as hell with black voters in Detroit. They're mad as hell with black voters in Milwaukee. You know why? Guess who's not running for re-election in 2022? Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey. That's why they're trying to change even the election of the state Supreme Court, because they wanna break it up into districts to do gerrymandering. They don't like the fact that the state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania is elected statewide. Follow me here, y'all. If you elect the Supreme Court justices statewide, that means all voters count. That means you cannot have these hard-core Republican conservative enclaves that will guarantee them seats on the state Supreme Court. Are y'all seeing a pattern here? Oh, why is it that they are mad at the Pennsylvania Supreme Court? because the pennsylvania supreme court are the ones that ruled against political gerrymandering the pennsylvania supreme court are the ones that ruled against republicans when it came to voting in 2020 election that's why they are mad at the supreme court so let's mosey on over to michigan Y'all know what happened in the last election in Michigan? The Michigan voters passed a law that created an independent commission to redraw political lines in Michigan. Guess what the Republicans did? They said, we're just gonna ignore the will of the voters. See what's going on? Let's go to Wisconsin. Democratic governor, Democrat, Lieutenant governor. they have so politically gerrymandered districts in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, that even if Democrats win 55 percent of all votes, they are still in the minority. Why do you think Donald Trump had a partial recount in Wisconsin? He didn't spend the money for a full recount. He did a partial recount. Where did he target? Milwaukee. Wow. What's so unique about Milwaukee? Black people. Now let's go back to Michigan. In Michigan, do y'all remember when the election person said, let's count all of the votes in Michigan except Detroit? What is it about Detroit? Something don't smell right. What? Oh, black people. And then Donald Trump said, he can't count the votes in Fulton County. Hmm. What's in Fulton County? Atlanta. What does Atlanta mean? Black people. So D, when Republicans all of a sudden want us to believe that they care about free and fair elections, what they're actually doing is no different than what white folks did in Selma and Birmingham and Montgomery and Mississippi and Tennessee and Louisiana and Arkansas and Florida is to say, we have got to stop black people from voting. Absolutely and they're going to
8: continue. And they think that we are ignorant, but we're not. And so we have to continue to press our claim. And they didn't just start this uh, this year or last year trying to suppress the vote. They have been doing this uh, since the beginning of time, and especially over the last 10 years, as they saw that the demographics have been changing in a lot of these places. And so with the redistricting, we saw this in um, 2001. Uh, in 2011. And now in 2021, they are playing the same games, gerrymandering. And so even here in Georgia, what's going to happen is uh, we are going to have the majority vote Democrats and we're going to have the least amount of seats because they have set up a system unless, you know, the Justice Department uh, uh, speaks up and does something about it, they're going to push this thing all the way through. And that's why they gutted. Uh, the Voting Rights Act, and got rid of Section 3 and 4 and are attacking Section 2, because they know what they're doing. It's very methodical. It's on purpose. And we have to be even ever more vigilant. And we can't play catch up with them. Because let's be clear about it. The whole absentee ballot game, the Republicans created that. And they used it to their benefit. But once we understood what was happening, we turned around, used it for their ben- our benefit, and now they're moving the goalposts. That's what they do every time black people um, try to understand the tricks that they're playing and we are uh, using to our benefit, they change the rules of the game. And so we've got to be even more vigilant and be more offensive instead of defensive as well because this is some crazy mm-hmm. stuff that's going on right now. Next they'll be giving us poll taxes and literacy tests again or telling us, asking us how many bubbles are in a bar of soap. That's the... That's the trajectory of where this is heading
6: right now. Well, actually, Mustafa, when you begin to require people to spend money just to be able to vote, when you put it in the law that they must get a notary for your application, that is a poll tax. Notaries are... The the, the bill does not say... That notaries are free. So if you have to go get your ballot, your absentee ballot notarized, you have to pay for that. That is a poll tax. It most
16: definitely is a poll tax. And you know, most folks are living on the margins, you know, just trying to keep the lights on and and, uh, put some food on the table. And if you have to make a decision about that or being able to vote, some folks may choose not being able to vote. Um, So they know they're very clear what they're doing. You know, Republicans are waking up in the nighttime talking about, I see black and brown people like it's a movie because they know (laughs) what's coming. And um, and they know that they have to do everything that they can. And in Georgia, you know, it's it's interesting that they know that if they lose Georgia, there goes the south. Right. If you if they're not able to change the laws, they know that they're on the cusp of losing North Carolina. They know that Florida is within the grasp of people actually getting focused, getting some resources down there to make sure that the brothers and sisters on the ground uh, trying to get people registered and stuff have what they need. They know that they could very easily begin to lose the South. So they're putting everything that they got right now into Georgia, trying to make change happen um, in a negative way there so that they can begin to try and make sure that they're holding on to the South. So that's what that game is. But I hope they wake up every night saying that I see black and brown people. I hope they wake up in sweats, um, you know, because of this voter suppression that they're doing, knowing that people are wise to what's going on and that they're not going to give up and that they're going to push. And as Dee said, I I like following Dee tonight because she said something that's super important. Department of Justice, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Department of Justice? Because you have the ability to get in there and to make sure that we are holding people accountable. Of course, we got to have the Senate do the right thing also.
6: Um, Kelly, final comment.
7: No, I agree with everything here, but it is clear to me that the Republicans are losing the game and what happens when you lose the game and you feel like you have no other way out? You cheat. And that is exactly what Republicans are doing right now. And it is so contradictory, the fact that Republicans in the Senate right now are, are, are basically acting like the minority in that, You know, they want to preserve the filibuster. They want to preserve their right as minorities in the Senate. But when it comes to the minorities of this country, they are doing everything within their power to take away the rights that we have, the privileges that we have, everything that is American in a vote, they are trying to take away. Voting should not be the hardest thing an American does. It should, frankly, be the easiest. That is what Democrats are trying to do. They are trying to provide access to voting for every American. It is not reserved for just rich white men like it was in 1775. It is 2021 now, and we have other people in the game. We have Black women. We have Black people. We have white women. We have everybody in the game, and everybody in the game right now has a stake in this country now, so everybody needs to have a say, and Republicans see that, and the problem is they don't want that to be a reality. So what do they do? They change their reality. At least they attempt to change the reality and try to basically go back to 1775 in that all only rich white men have the power to change anything in this country. That's not going to be the case anymore. It is never going to be the case again if we step up, if we fight for our rights, and if we support those who actually see what's going on are doing something and are doing something about it, such as the Senate, such as Congress, such as your local legislatures, such as in Georgia. Because uh, I, I forgot who said it first, but once Georgia's gone, that's the Bible Belt. So it this is a, a moment in time where it's, where it really is do or die.
6: Well, so they'll, they'll, they'll we still have—I mean, reality is, yeah, they're afraid of North Carolina— uh, coming like uh, to some degree like Virginia, even though Virginia is is, is all blue, that's not going to happen there. But what they're afraid of, if Democrats are able to consistently win Virginia, North Carolina, and Georgia, Republican, they have to lock the South. Mm-hmm. The only way they win is if they lock the South. What that does is that creates the opportunity for Democrats to win. Other states, that's what they are afraid of. And so, folks, we're going to keep uh, pressing this issue. Got to go to break when we come back. Maryland finally, 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 finally steps up and ends this long battle that HBCUs have been having there. When the governor signed a $577 million bill, we will explain that victory next on Roland Martin Unfiltered.
1: Georgia lawmakers have unleashed an all-out attack on voting rights this year, including through the introduction of more than 80 anti-voting bills since the legislative session began in January. Two of the worst voter suppression bills in the nation right now are SB202 and HB531, and they are rapidly moving through a flawed and non-transparent process in the Georgia General Assembly. It should come as no surprise that these bills are a reaction to increased participation by black voters. That context is critical to understanding the purpose and impact of these voter suppression bills. Georgia lawmakers want to restrict voting access by significantly restricting the use and availability of secure drop boxes. By restricting the ability for voters to cast provisional ballots and by adding new ID requirements for absentee voting. They're also seeking to allow for unlimited voter challenges, which is particularly troublesome, given that just this past January 2020 runoff, tens of thousands of Georgia voters were subjected to baseless, untimely, and potentially discriminatory voter challenges. Georgia lawmakers want to criminalize people for giving out free, Food and water to voters who are standing in extremely long lines it can last anywhere from two to five to even ten hours. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund is in partnership with a coalition of on-the-ground partners including Black Voters Matter, All Voting is Local, and Fair Fight to push back on SB 202 and HB 531. If you live in Georgia, Please call the Georgia General Assembly line and ask to be connected to your representative. Tell them to vote against SB202 and against HB531. If you live outside of Georgia, you can still help by contacting your US senators and asking them to support HR1, the For the People Act. Please call your elected officials today and join us in the fight to protect voting rights. Hi, I'm Gavin Houston.
10: Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now.
6: Eee. For years, HBCU advocates in Maryland have been fighting that state to secure proper funding for the schools. In the original lawsuit, they contend that state of Maryland allowed HBCUs to create specialty programs that were attracting white students. They had then allowed the predominantly white institutions to duplicate those programs at their institutions, which then drew those white students and other and black students away from HBCUs to those predominantly white institutions. That was the basis of the lawsuit. This has been going on, y'all, for 15 years. Last session, they passed the bill. Governor vetoed it while letting the bill go through to rebuild the racetrack in Baltimore. Well, today, after the legislature again passed the bill led by the Maryland Black Caucus, Governor Larry Hogan signed the measure into law providing $577 million over a decade to the state's four HBCUs. This is Governor
15: Hogan. Uh, I want to thank... all of the uh, all the presidents of our HBCUs for joining us today for this important uh, occasion. I'm especially pleased to be here with Senate President Bill Ferguson and Speaker Adrian Jones. Uh, I'm happy to have the Lieutenant Governor here with us today and a number of our distinguished legislators. Um, this is an important occasion, and uh, we're here today to enact uh, an historic bipartisan measure that will be. Uh, Uh, an unprecedented step forward uh, in addressing inequities in our higher education system by making substantial investments in Maryland's historically black colleges and universities. In in our past seven uh, budgets, we have uh, funded uh, historically black colleges and universities at historically high levels providing more than $2.2 billion dollars in state support. Uh, No administration in the history of the state has ever invested more in our HBCUs. And uh, our administration has has advanced more than a billion dollars in major projects at all four HBCUs, including the new Communication Arts and Humanities building right here at Bowie State. Uh, This legislation that we're signing into law here today will provide even more critical investments for all of these institutions. And it brings to an end a more than 15-year-long legal battle uh, that uh, we inherited and that we've spent years working hard uh, to try to resolve in a fair and equitable manner. With our economy recovering and our much improved fiscal situation, I'm very pleased that we are now able to take this historic action. With the signing of this important legislation into law, together, I believe that we're sending a very clear message that we can work together in a bipartisan way and deliver real results. And uh, together, uh, we are all ensuring uh, that uh, any student in Maryland who wishes to pursue a degree will have access to world class programs and the highest quality institutions for many years to come.
3: It would
17: be <laughs> Unless the governor tells us so many.
15: I wonder if you right. deal.
6: Mission accomplished. Now you're supposed to find it. Join me now. Uh, Joining me now, Delegate Charles Sidnor of Baltimore County, uh, as well as Dr. Anthony Jenkins, president of Coppin State University, and Dr. Heidi Anderson, president of the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Glad to have all of you here. Delegate Sidnor, I want to start with you. First of all, we've had Democrats and Republican governors who have not done right by HBCUs. Maryland fought this lawsuit Consistently, they did not want to pay the money during the trial. One particular uh, expert said that really it should have been two billion dollars that was granted to these institutions over uh, uh, over what they were asking for, and that was at one point when the governor Larry Hogan was it 100 or 200 million, where he said, "That's it. I'm not doing anything more. Uh, that is my red line." Which what was what was the number? It was 200. It was 200 million. Was, the four right. institutions were supposed to share over right. uh, a 10 year period. Dude, really? Uh, that was not <laughs> significant. But the Black Caucus uh, used that power to say no. And look, we were there in Annapolis, held a rally there. Uh, I have had discussed this on my TV One show, on this show, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Folks have been out here. This was important to ensure the dollars went to HBCUs who did the right thing, but they were screwed by the state in these predominantly white institutions.
18: No, uh, and, and again, look, thank you for having us on this evening and, and, and covering uh, this important event. Um, uh, you're right. It's, it's, it, this is historic. It is, it's something that has never happened before. And we're extremely, uh, grateful, uh, that we were able to get to this point, uh, through both houses and, and to get, get it to the governor as early as we did, uh, so that if he had decided not to, to sign it, we were fully ready, um, uh, to override the veto, but we're thankful he, he, I believe he did the right thing. He explained uh, why he felt uh, that he was able to sign it. It is now the law of Maryland. Uh, So our our next look is to make certain that our uh, attorney general and the plaintiffs sign this settlement agreement uh, so that, uh, prior to, I I believe it's June 1st, uh, so that we can get these schools uh, that just do.
6: Uh, this, this is important. And just so everybody understand, uh, because y'all are employees of the state, uh, and that is to Dr. Jenkins and Dr. Anderson, uh, y'all were not involved in this uh, in terms of weighing in either way. Uh, but I'm quite sure, Dr. Anderson, uh, that you were happy to see people standing up fighting on behalf of Maryland's four HBCUs.
17: Definitely, Roland. I think that's very critical. and It's not just people. We've had 15 years of individuals standing up fighting for this. Former students, former faculty, former administrators, former legislators, senators, delegates, a number of individuals have, put, have worked very, very hard to bring us to this point. And I think Dr. Jenkins would agree with me, with both of us being the two new presidents, here in coming to these particular schools, we stand on their shoulders. They did a lot of the hard work, and it's kind of like running a race. They were carrying the baton, and they carried it to this particular point And now it's our
6: job to carry it forward and make sure we continue to sustain these in- these institutions. Um, Dr. Jenkins, on that particular point, uh, what people who did not follow this lawsuit didn't quite understand: HBCUs got creative. They literally created programs that would attract students that nobody else was doing and were successful at it. And then the predominantly white institution said, hmm, we like that. We're going to duplicate those programs. And look, it's no it's no knock on your institution, Coppin State. It's no knock on University of Maryland Eastern Shore or Bowie State or Morgan State, but the reality is when an individual goes, well, wait a minute, if I could get my degree from the University of Maryland and I could go to this larger campus and look at all the amenities and things along those lines, I'm going to blow past the HBCUs. The HBCUs created a way to be competitive, and the state allowed these institutions to essentially steal the creative programming and steal those students. That's what this money is rectifying.
10: Yeah, Roland. Listen, you're absolutely correct, and I want to thank you for having us. I want to thank Senator Signor for his work and his efforts, as well as uh, you know the entire um, Maryland General Assembly. And I want to thank the governor for signing this. I think that to you know today we we got it right. Uh, Maryland is on the right side of history. The governor is on the right side of, of history, and uh, you know we can debate about what got us here or what took so long. Uh, we are here now, and I think your point is a, a very poignant one. You know, it is, it is no secret that HBCUs have been innovative for centuries, and we have been doing great things and educating students that our historically white institution uh, uh, partners would not have admitted into their, their doors. And so, when you take an institution like Coppin on our very diverse, dynamic campus, We have students who are the first in their family to go to college, and maybe they didn't come from the best backdrop. But what we do with those students is we provide the right wraparound support services. And on the same campus, we also have students who are the valedictorians of their high school. And we take both those students and we transform them into scholars. To your point, when you have larger institutions who are better funded, better resources, better amenities, and better scholarship packages, they can lure those students away from the HBCUs. It's not a referendum on the the HBCU from the student or their parents' perspective, but clearly, if you can receive more institutional aid and have to borrow less, if the um, brick and mortar facilities that you are in are world-class, state-of-the-arts, Students and parents vote with their feet. Now, over the last decade or so, Coppin State, UMES, Bowie, Morgan, we have been able to make inroads in those areas, but we still are not brick, for, brick and mortar, building for building, pound for pound, with our historically white um, institution partners. And and so your point, I think, is a very important one, and it's one that we have to continue to look at. The academic programs, very quickly, that we offer at our institution, for it to be duplicated elsewhere, and scholarship dollars that we can't compete with comes with that, to me, that is a no-brainer. Students are simply going to move from either my institutions Um, uh, I mean, our institutions uh, and move over to our historically white institution counterparts. And so this uh, settlement allows us to push back on that sum. This is a wonderful start, um, but it still um, has not positioned us to make up for the decades of underfunding and so forth that institutions like Coppin State University uh, has endured. But- What we were given through the signing of this piece of legislation allows us to expand our academic uh, enterprise, offer more student scholarships up front, hire more faculty, better train our faculty, and those are things that are important that ultimately impact retention and graduation rates.
6: Just so folks need to understand, Uh, If the HBCUs had taken that offer from Governor Larry Hogan, a delegate sitting over, they would have gotten about $4 million a year each. This deal gets them three times that amount. That's why the Black Caucus and the lawyers were saying, no, we're not going to accept that small money. And last year, y'all got it passed. The governor then vetoed it. And we talked. and uh, I talked with other... Officials and I said, I said it. Y'all agreed absolutely. When the session, when it comes back, make it clear to the to the other to the other Democrats. Hey, y'all ain't moving on nothing until we get to HBCU stuff straight.
18: And I'm and I'm grateful we didn't even have to go there because from the very get go, it was made clear uh, from uh, the House as well as uh, my Senate President that this is going to be a priority for both houses. So there was no questioning. Uh, But during during, during the interim, the the only thing that that really was a question was whether or not we were going to get back in enough time so that we could have a special session uh, so that we could override the veto. Uh, But because we had this triggering language in that legislation um, and were unable to have that special session, uh, that's why we went about uh, doing things the way that we did and there was no, no question. Um, and, and really, uh, like I said, uh, over in the Senate, it was, it, it, came out, it came out unanimous. And so uh, uh, the, the, the presidents are right. They, they, this, this signing of this bill is going to make certain that our institutions have a new programming that other schools don't have, mm-hmm. and it's going to attract the students, it's going to have the money, uh, to make certain that those students have the type of financial aid that they need, and as well as uh, uh, money for for faculty, and and those are the kinds of things that make universities attractive. I was joking earlier today with um, with the president of, of Bowie State because they have this new program that they're offering dealing with uh, uh, visual effects and 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 graphics and things. Uh, and, and computer animation, and I, I told, her, I said, my 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 daughter, uh, my daughter, Earth, lost you programs, so they may have some bulldogs coming in the future. I mean, and th- it's those types of special programs that UMS is going to be able to do. Coppin is going to be able to do Morgan as as well as Bowie, and and, and we're super excited uh, to be here uh, today to celebrate what happened.
6: And uh, again, uh, when we talk about uh, all this, Doctor Anderson. Um, For your institution, with this infusion of capital, what is it going towards?
17: Well, to begin with, Roland, and I want to, like my counterpart, thank our delegates and also, especially the Speaker of the House as well, for all the efforts they put through for this. But the monies, first of all, are going to go for scholarships for our students. And as President Jenkins has pointed out, and we will be doing the same, this will strengthen our being able to attract students to the institution. But the other place we're going to use the funding for is to strengthen some of our existing existing programs. We have criminal justice. We have cybersecurity. We have the only four-year BS degree in aviation sciences in the state of Maryland. And so we will be able to put out more aviation scientists and pilots and individuals who work uh, at the airports. But in addition to that, it's going to help us work on solving some of the problems that impact the people in the state of Maryland, and especially people in our communities of color. For example, We have nine health care professional programs at this time. We're the only HBCU in the country that has nine health professional programs, and this is going to allow us to expand those health professional programs. So think about this. We have pharmacy already. We have physical therapy. We have physician assistant. And we have a host of others. Our newest health care programs is sports management. This is going to allow us to look at medical and expand that and then have team-based learning in an interprofessional way. For, imagine us graduating a more diverse healthcare population to uh, students who can go into the workforce in our communities and serve our people. That's gonna be critical. The other thing that's going to allow us to do is grow in areas, new particular areas that we haven't been in before with our School of Agriculture and Natural Sciences. And the food insecurity problems that are impacting many of our people, we're going to be able to do high-level research in those areas. We're going to help solve some of the problems of what's happening with seafood and food insecurity. And so those are the things that's going to happen, not just for our students, but also for the citizens of the state of Maryland.
6: Uh, And, of course, uh, Doc, what's going to be happening with the money at Coppin State?
10: You know, pretty pretty similar. Thanks, Roland. You know, we are looking at expanding our academic enterprise. Um, you know, when what we're having the, the conversation now is how do we take our liberal arts foundation and how do we pivot and create these 21st century high STEM uh, academic programs. Those programs cost more to produce. The faculty to teach in those programs cost more. So we are going to be looking at how we expand our cybersecurity and engineering, Um, looking at our uh, College of Business, Um, looking at our social work program, our psychology programs, Forbes just listed us as having one of the best psychology programs in the entire nation. Uh, Our nursing program is very strong. Uh, We produce more African-American nurses than any HBCU in the state, Uh, and so we want to expand on that, looking at not only more brick-and-mortar opportunities at the undergraduate and graduate level, but also uh, online education. We are also looking at how we can better package our students and attract mm-hmm. students and make sure that we push down the cost of education. Yes. We, we want to ensure yeah. that more students leave our institution with less debt. And so these yes. dollars are going to allow us to help do that. And Roland, one of the things that also is important for us is that we we roll out a better branding and marketing campaign that educates family on the cost of education and the pathways to getting to us that ultimately allows them to create greater and Roland, can I, I jump in and, add and enhance the quality of
6: their life. Uh, Dr. Anderson, go ahead.
10: Yes, uh, the uh,
17: President Jenkins just made me think of something I forgot to mention. One of the areas that we're <laughs> going to expand in, I'm sorry guys, <laughs> we're gonna, we're, we've been talking about and exploring having another a veterinary science program at our, at our university. And think about that. It's only one other veterinary science uh, medicine program in an HBCU in the country, and that's at Tuskegee. This will do great wonders for our farmers here. But the other thing I wanted to add is our partnerships that we're creating from high school through community college to students at UMES, that's going to shorten the time to degree for those students. And look, we're looking at students of color coming from all the, that, particular pathway all the way through UMES and getting out of the workforce a lot quicker. Sorry to interrupt you there, President Jenkins.
10: No, no, listen, that's great. Listen, at at the end of the day, Roland, what this does is it strengthens the opportunity for us to educate more uh, uh, black and brown people. Um, We can, we, we already know that we have quality institutions and that we provide a high quality education that can attract any student. Uh, But access and opportunity, lifting that bottom quartile, if our city and state is going to grow and continue to prosper, it is that bottom quartile that all of our institutions, historically white and historically black, have to make sure we are creating pathways for. In this country, if you come from a household of $30,000 or less, you have a one in 10 chance of earning a college education. I have families on the west side of Baltimore, where I'm located, that make less than $30,000 a year. So what do we say to those people? You don't deserve an opportunity for upward mobility? Well, that's nonsense. These dollars will allow us to help create those pathways so that we can educate more Marylanders, so they can add to an educated citizenry and impact positively the economic prosperity of our state. So this is just bigger than Coppin. This is bigger than gotcha. Morgan. This is bigger big, than you know, yes. your know, Bowie. It's bigger than UMES. This is about our state doing the right thing and doubling down on making sure that we educate more of our citizens and we create opportunities for them to have jobs in Baltimore City on the Eastern Shore of Maryland and in Bowie, Maryland, Prince George County and throughout the state. So I am pleased that we have taken this huge step uh, in the right direction and uh, we're, we're going to put our foot on the gas and keep it on the gas. And uh, as we continue to prove that, uh, you know, we can make a significant difference with these dollars,
6: we're going to come back to uh, to our state legislature and ask for some more. All right. Then. <laughs> Folks, uh, as always, you always ask for more. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Roland. Take care and be well. Roland, yeah. Roland
17: thank you, and we want, want to invite you over to Umes when you get a chance. Hey, y- look, here, here, all i All I'm gonna say is we, have, we haven't had you over here, so I, you I have know. An invite. I may. Mean, I am mean, all, all I'm saying is invite.
6: I did. Roland, the, I did the boys State commencement. I did the Morgan State we, commencement. One of those
17: years that I've been here has been all in COVID.
6: You weren't going to come in COVID. What I did you say? Y'all, look. I, y'all got y'all got the golf <laughs> program down there at University we, of Maryland we, Eastern Shores. I've been we, playing we, golf for thirty four years. Let a brother know. I, let's let's get on the course. How about that? That ain't a problem. Hey.
17: All right. All right. Either. <laughs> so, so we owe you. I, I wanna,
18: All right? I want to make certain that, that, that I say thank you again for raising this issue and putting That's this right. out yeah. in front of this entire country. You didn't have to do it. You didn't have to come out last year to that rally. So it is extreme. I, I'm extremely appreciative of your efforts in, in amplifying what was happening here in Maryland, and, and I appreciate your brotherhood.
6: Well, in a, I said at that rally, uh, when I reached out to a bunch of civil rights folks, I said, uh, my philosophy is the same one. My man Denzel, when he played Frank Lucas in American Gangster, I'm going to get that money. Uh, and so, <laughs> so congratulations on y'all getting that money. Thank you, so
17: much, Chris, th- thank money. you. And, and I, and th- I want to thank our Black Caucus delegates again, and also the senator and the speaker. Thank you so much.
6: All right. Y'all take care. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Take care. Be well. All right, then. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Folks, Thank, se- juror- you. Thank you. Jury selection is complete. The murder okay. trial of former Minneapolis police officer Dick Chauvin. It took about two weeks to select the jury. Opening statements are scheduled to begin on Monday. The court chose 15 jurors. 12 will sit on the jury, and two will be alternates. The final person chosen on Tuesday. An accountant will be dismissed next week if the other 14 show up. Here's the judge confirming the selection.
5: All right. We have 15. Uh, obviously, just to reiterate. 14 will be seated, uh, that's all we have room for. We could seat 15 if we had room, but uh, 15th juror. Uh, as the last chosen will be excused on Monday if the other 14. The whole point of this 15th juror was to make sure that we have 14 people show up on Monday. Nevertheless, I'm still not going to release the jury pool until the jury is sworn. On the off chance that we still have to. Uh, pick some alternates, but I'm hopeful that, uh, since it's only a few days, that we'll have 14 people show up and those 14 will be seated and sworn. And we'll proceed with opening statements at that time. Anything else for the record from the state? No,
9: Thank you, Your Honor. No, Your
5: Honor. All right, we are in recess until Monday, March 29th at 9
6: a.m. Thank you. All right, folks, and we, of course, uh, we'll be live streaming that trial right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. When we come back, I'll chat with uh, Kelly and Dee about, (sighs) I'm really, I'm really uh, getting a little tired of white women with no qualifications trying to talk about qualifications for jobs. Wait until y'all, until I show y'all what Meghan McCain said today on The View. That's next on Roller Martin Unfiltered.
3: I believe that it's movement time again.
0: In America today, the economy is not working for working people.
3: The poor and the needy are being abused.
5: You are the victims of power. And this is the abuse of economic power.
8: I'm 23 years old. I work three jobs. Work Seven days a week. No days off.
7: They're paying, people pennies on the dollar compared to what they profit and it is time for this to end essential workers have been showing up to work feeding us caring for us delivering goods to us throughout this entire pandemic and they've been doing it on a measly 7.25 minimum wage
18: the
9: highest check i ever got was nearly 291 dollars i can't take it no more <laughs>
14: You know, The fight for 15 is a lot more than about $15 an hour. This is about a fight for your dignity.
7: We have got to recognize that working people deserve livable wages. And it's
4: long past time for this nation to go to 15 so that moms and dads don't have to choose between asthma inhalers and rent.
9: I'm halfway homeless.
4: The main reason that people end up in their cars is because income does not match cost. If I could just only work one job, I could have more time with them.
14: It is time for the owners of Walmart, McDonald's, Dollar General and large corporations to get off welfare and pay their workers a living wage.
7: And if you really want to tackle racial equity, you have to raise the minimum wage. We're not just fighting for our families, we're fighting for yours too. We need this. I'm going to fight for it until we get it. I'm not going to give up. We just need all workers to stand up as one nation and just fight together families are relying on these salaries and they must be paid at a minimum
9: fifteen dollars an hour fifteen dollars a minimum anyone should be making this able to stay out of poverty i can't take it no more i'm doing this for not only me but for everybody we need 15 right now <laughs>
10: What's up? This your boy Ice Cube. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching
6: Roland Martin Unfiltered. I've always said that it bugs the shit out of me that whenever we talk about qualified minorities, that we always use the, the qualifier "qualified." Sometimes it's about white folks, nobody ever uses the words qualified. Today on The View, they were talking about Senator Tammy Duckworth blasting the Biden administration by saying, by saying, if they need to have more Asian American Pacific Islanders in the cabinet. Neera Tandon, who was nominated for the Office of Management and Budget, was rejected, uh, had to pull her nomination because of opposition. And so Duckworth was raising the issue of why this was important. So they're talking about this on The View. And Meghan McCain makes this point that, quote, if there is somebody who is, quote, more qualified, who happens to be a white, straight person who has more experience in the field than a minority with less experience, why should it matter? See, that's always the case. When is the last time you heard somebody white like Meghan McCain say, damn, that white person really ain't qualified for that job? Every time it's a conversation about less qualified, they always frame it as the white person is always the more qualified person. When we know it's a mediocre as white people in government, in politics, in media, in corporate America, on Wall Street, on Main Street. All over. Play the clip of Megan today, y'all
2: excluded women farmers. And so we're going to a place where even if people need money, even if people are qualified to get into Ivy Leagues, race and gender is more important than your skill qualifications, the content of your character. It is not what Martin Luther King Jr. preached. I think this is a very, very slippery slope. I was very surprised to hear someone like Tammy Duckworth say something like this. She got a lot of blowback from a lot of people, not just on the right. And I think this is actually just the natural progression of identity politics. And I will say, just to put a cap on this, the view is 25 years old next year. We've only had one Asian-American host co-host this show. So does that mean that one of us should be leaving at some point because there's not enough representation? We're talking about is identity politics more important than qualifications of a job? And I think that's a question going forward that the progressive left is going to have to reconcile. Okay, and
8: before we go, because we're going to go and take a break, eventually we're going to come back and talk about the black farm.
17: Yep. Mm.
6: Let me deal with what you just heard mm. from one of the most
18: mm.
6: white privileged women in America. I know Megan McCain. I've been on her shows. When I was at CNN, she came on when I was guest hosting. She said she really liked my work. She follows me on Twitter. I follow her on Twitter. But let's just be real clear. The only reason Meghan McCain is on The View, the only reason she was a Fox contributor. The only reason before that she was at MSNBC. The only reason before that she had a syndicated radio host show. The only reason before that she had a show on another cable network is because her last name is McCain. And that her daddy, her daddy is Senator, was Senator John McCain. That's it. There is nothing zero zilch in Megan McCain's resume that suggests that she has been qualified for any of these jobs. Again, any of them, not one. I very rarely pull up Wikipedia. Go to my computer. Megan Marguerite McCain is an American conservative. Is an, Amer, is, a, is, is an American conservative columnist, author and television personality. She has worked for ABC News, Fox News and MSNBC. It says the daughter of politician John McCain and businesswoman Cindy McCain, she has been a public figure me one second. There we go. She's been a public figure for much of her life, first appearing at the 1996 Republican National Convention. She had a blog in 2007. She was a contributing writer for the Daily Beast, co-host on Outnumbered on Fox. Early life. Y'all, do, do, do y'all see this? This is her early life. After high school, she attended Columbia University, earned a bachelor's degree in art history in 2007. Originally became, planned to become a music journalist and intern at Newsweek and Saturday Night Live. Y'all, that is the extent of Megan's career. She wrote a blog and then began writing for the Daily Beast. Sound a six-figure book deal. Hmm. All this experience I'm looking at right here. Wrote a campaign memoir, Dirty Sexy Politics. Okay. Then all of a sudden, TV career. Had a talk show on Pivot. Startup Cable Network. Analyst on MSNBC. Fox News. Then the View. Megan, Megan, you are the epitome of a white woman who has used identity politics and your daddy's name to get major media jobs. And Megan, I can guarantee you that there are numerous black people Black women, numerous Latina, numerous Latinas, numerous Asian women with far deeper resumes than you, who were grossly qualified, overqualified for these jobs. Yet you got them. And then when you remark about identity politics, as if white identity politics has not led to jobs, how many people have been co-hosts on The View who were grossly unqualified, yet got there because of their name? Your girl, Abby Huntsman. I knew Abby at CNN. All the white bosses, oh my God, Abby is one of them. She's cute. She's gorgeous. Abby was not smart. And Abby went from CNN to a talk show host at MSNBC, went from MSNBC to Fox News, where Roger Ailes was quoted as saying, we're going to teach her how to be a correspondent. I never heard a white media executive say, I think we're going to teach this um, black woman how to do TV. And went from that to the co-host of Fox and Friends on the weekends and parlayed that into the view. Them Bush girls who got hired over at the Day show Grossly unqualified. Chelsea Clinton wasn't qualified to have her TV job. So please, Megan, if we're going to have this conversation about qualifying, at least have the decency, Megan, to just say, hey, I'm a white woman who's gotten hooked up my whole life because of my daddy. I just want you to be honest, because I can guarantee you, if that was a privileged black person, I'd say the same thing, and the same thing was said about Luke Russert. Luke is a great guy, but everybody knew Luke Russert only got the job at MSNBC because of his daddy. He had not earned he had not put the time in to become a national correspondent? Why are we playing games here? Before I go to Kelly and D, let me add this. There have been some black people who have been saying that Alexi McCammond, who had to resign as the editor in Chief of Teen Vote, that she wasn't ready for the job. But Jeff Zucker at 25 became executive producer of the Today Show. Mark Shapiro in his 20s became a high ranking executive at ESPN. See, I always find it interesting. Y'all ever find it interesting that whenever we talk about young white people who have become high ranking executives Don't nobody bring up their resume. Nobody bring up qualifications. The word qualified don't even come up. Yet when you're young and black, first of all, very few black people have gotten a shot that Alexi did at 27. See, we got to wait till we 35, 40, 45, 50, 55 before we finally get the shot. The new head coach of the Houston Texans is 65. You got white guys running around at 34, 35, getting NFL head jobs. He had to wait till he's 65. So, Megan, please, if you want to talk about identity politics, you had better include white women in that category and white men in that category because this black man has seen for far too long, a whole bunch of mediocre-ass white people get high-paying jobs and saluted and given awards, and they got the job because they are white. D. Well,
8: damn, you just said it all for us. I mean, you just hit the, you know, the nail with the hammer because, let me tell you something, bro, First of all, that girl knows the only reason she's on The View is because of who she is. But let's also be very clear. America loves its European model of beauty and what they represent. Even when we're trying to get government loans or contracts, when white men couldn't get it because of identity politics, they just pull their white wives and daughters into the place to take it away from black women who have worked hard and, and, and done all the necessary things. And black women are still... 24 cents behind white men in salary pay, even though we are the most educated people in the country now. That's what all the statistics say, that black women are getting advanced degrees more than anyone else. And it's still not enough. Black women are opening more small businesses more than anyone else. And it's still not enough. We can't get the government contracts because of white identity politics. So you said it all. I mean, what else is there to say? She's
6: there because she's white. Like, Kelly, one of the much, Kelly, yeah. one of the most grossly uh untalented people is Tucker Carlson. My God. T- Tucker Carlson yeah. has had a show at PBS, MSNBC, CNN. He has uh, he been hired everywhere, flamed out everywhere. You rarely gonna find somebody black in media, get a second shot somewhere else. After they didn't succeed the first time. I mean, we could walk through, I mean, we could, if we walk through newsrooms across America, I could walk through a newsroom with my arms crossed and bump into untalented, unqualified white folks in major positions.
7: I mean, I live in DC. You can just bump into them in the street here in DC, frankly. Um, it is beyond insulting, and but also expected for someone like Meghan McCain to actually think that she's qualified uh, to do something such as being a host on The View. Um, for her to be so dense as to think that it is because of imaginary qualifications outside of her dad's name that she's on that show is, is simply absurd. She's literally talking to an EGOT recipient in Whoopi Goldberg about her being qualified to sit next to Whoopi Goldberg, like the caucasity of it all, right? Um, Personally, as a young black woman who has been in these spaces, it is, I I can rattle off stories for days about how many times I've gone into a room, uh, interviewed for a position, uh, submitted a proposal, and actually see who they ended up going for And it's either they are grossly underqualified or they just had the right name recognition. And the whole mantra of black women, black people having to work twice as hard to get only half the credit, now it feels like even a quarter of the credit because of these identity politics, because people don't wanna act like, you know, oh, I'm only doing it because you're black, so let's make you work just a little harder so that you are now qualified to have this uh position, to have this opportunity. It's it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I mean Megan is full of crap.
6: Again, what 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 bothers me the most, and I want y'all to cue it up. I want y'all to cue it up. Because see, I, I really want people to pay attention. I want you so to do this here. I want y'all I want y'all to get the split screen ready. And I want y'all to play the video of Megan on one side. And I want y'all to have me on the other side. And I'm going to walk y'all through this. But I need y'all to listen to keywords that are being spoken by Megan in this one-minute clip. Again, I need you to hear what happens when somebody is so clueless on this very issue. They have no idea. So I want y'all to play it and keep my audio up. Watch this, y'all.
2: Excluded uh, women farmers. And so we're going to a place where even if people need money, even if people are qualified to get into Ivy Leagues, race and gender is more important than your skill qualifications. Pause,
6: pause, pause. So we're going through this thing where race and gender is more important than your skill set. I'm sorry, Megan. Please show me in here. Oh, you see, again, show me in here where Senator Tammy Duckworth said, Megan, pick somebody who doesn't have the skill set. She didn't say that. You just said where race and gender are more important than qualifications. Megan, you were literally picked because you were a white woman who's a conservative not because of your qualifications. You literally are describing yourself in your criticism. Press play.
2: Of your character, it is not what Martin Luther King Jr. preached. I think this is a very...
6: This is not what Martin Luther King preached. So all of a sudden... We now want to have a conversation on what Martin Luther King preached. Megan, are you aware that Dr. King believed in the guaranteed income? Megan, are you aware that Dr. King called himself a socialist? I've heard you condemn socialism. So so now all of a sudden, you, Megan, you want to now quote Dr. King because it fits your narrative, but you don't want to talk about the other stuff that Dr. King preached. So when you say, Megan, this is not what Dr. King preached, what what exactly, Megan, did he preach? Did you hear one speech, Megan, of Dr. King? Or did you listen to any of his sermons? Press play
2: very slippery slope. I was very surprised to hear someone like Tammy Duckworth say something like this. She got a lot of blowback from a lot of people, not just on the right. And I think this is actually just the natural progression of identity politics. And I will say just to put.
6: This is the natural progression of identity politics. Because Senator Tammy Duckworth said that we need need more AAPI in the cabinet. Megan, how many white presidents have we had? How many white vice presidents have we had? In the history of the United States, Megan, how many white men have sat on the Supreme Court? 105, 106 women, African-Americans, Latinos have made up what? Six of the 106, something like that. Megan, how many white men and white women are Fortune 500 CEOs? Megan, how many white men and white women run newsrooms all across the country? Isn't it amazing when all of a sudden someone calls for the addition of one or two people of color White women like yourself go, oh my God, this is the natural progression of identity politics. Megan, if African Americans, Latinos, Asian Americans, Native Americans, if we have been chosen based upon skill set, I can guarantee you, Megan, I can guarantee you there would be a hell of a lot more people of color in these positions because whiteness would not be the determinant based upon the person who's hiring. Press play.
2: To cap on this, the view is 25 years old next year. We've only had one Asian-American host co-host this show. So does that mean that one of us should be leaving at some point because there's not enough representation? Uh, We're talking about, is identity politics more important than qualifications of a job? And I think that's a question going forward that the progressive left is going to have to reconcile.
6: And right there, Megan, what you fail to even realize, Megan, is how white supremacy has worked in America. The fact that you, Megan, can't even acknowledge that whiteness has been the determinant for so many jobs in America up until this point is problematic. Megan, I dare you to walk through the executive suite at ABC News and count how many people of color you see. I dare you, Megan, to walk through the executive suites of Disney, the parent company of ABC, and count how many people of color that you see. If you do that, Megan, you might realize that there are very few. And see, how do we know that's a problem? Because Megan, at the company that employs you, its top two bosses announced that they were leading the company-wide diversity committees because there have been so few. But, see, that's what happens when you step outside of your whiteness. This is what happens, Megan, when you step outside of your rich white bubble and then begin to understand the reality of what a black journalist has had to endure to get to the table of the view actually have the conversation with Sonny Hostin. Go have the conversation with Whoopi Goldberg on what she had to go through to get to the table. Megan, Sonny and Whoopi didn't have the opportunity to be able to say my daddy was a United States senator. So therefore, hire me. Because that literally is the extent of your experience. If you, Megan, would be honest, and that's all I'm asking you. And I like you, Megan. We we always got along. But this is where there's a blind spot, Megan. It's a blind spot because you just went on national television railing against identity politics and saying it's gonna be problematic for the left as if there's no identity politics that's on the right. Whiteness and white privilege is real, Megan. And if there were pictures in the dictionary to illustrate unqualified white women, who have gotten major jobs on television, your picture would be there. Just admit it. We're gonna break with on Unfiltered. When we come back, we'll talk with Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax of Virginia about that state abolishing the death penalty.
7: Way. Who needs love?
10: Who needs love? Who needs a little love today? Who needs a love sent
8: their way?
10: I'm Donnie Simpson. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
6: Virginia, the state that has executed more people than any other in the country, has now abolished the death penalty. The bill was signed today into law by Governor Ralph Northam.
13: Today, Virginia becomes the first southern state to end this practice. We joined 22 other states in saying the government will not take a life. The government will no longer execute people. Now, make no mistake. If you commit the most serious of crimes, you will be punished. But Virginia can do that without continuing a system that gets it wrong even once. And a system that doesn't work the same for everyone who encounters it. Justice and punishment are not always the same thing. That is too clearly evident in 400 years of the death penalty in Virginia. So today, Virginia takes an important step forward. And again, I thank everyone who has worked so hard to change this law. Joining you know
6: me mean now is Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Justin Fairfax. Glad to have you back on Rolling Martin Unfiltered.
19: Thank you so much, Roland. Really honored to be back with you.
6: This is a uh, huge deal. Uh, it has been a long time coming for many people to be the first southern state to abolish the death penalty. And as the governor said there, if one person has been executed unfairly, that is one too many.
19: That, that's absolutely right, uh, Roland. It's, it's a monumental and an historic day here in Virginia and in our nation. Uh, as you know, uh, Virginia has a 400-year history, uh, not only of uh, being the place where the first enslaved Africans were forced to land uh, here and a racism that runs through uh, that entire four-century history, but a 400-year history of the implementation of the death penalty. And Virginia has, uh, in its history, uh, killed, via the death penalty, more people than any other state Uh, in the nation, uh, over 1,400. And so today, uh, it's a new day in Virginia. It's a new day in the South. It's a new day in America. Uh, And we are now adhering uh, to our highest values. We're pushing forward toward progress. We're getting rid of the racist vestiges uh, of our past um, and of our criminal justice system. Uh, We know the racism runs very deep. uh, And as you mentioned, uh, and Governor Northam said, uh, to have one person be killed um, that was innocent uh, is a beyond a travesty. Uh, and we are now out of the business of taking uh, life uh, here in Virginia. Uh, and it is important uh, for us to you know, stand up and to recognize this moment for what it, what it really means.
6: The, the thing that um, is always interesting is that so many pro-lifers talk about the sanctity of life Yet they are so blase and uninterested when you had black men and others who've been freed from death row after it was been proven that they did not commit the crimes. That right there should be enough for anyone to say, I cannot support the death penalty.
19: That's absolutely right. Uh, And we know that there is a long history uh, of a lack of due process of uh, innocent people who are uh, accused, uh, charged, convicted, uh, and then ultimately exonerated uh, and found not to have committed the crime, uh, many of whom have been sent to their deaths uh, and others awaiting a death sentence around the country. Uh, And frankly, it is repugnant uh, to who we are. Uh, It is not who we should aspire to be uh, as Americans. And, you know, you hit on uh, one of the key issues that there is a deep, deep racial Uh, and racist bias uh, when it comes to the death penalty and other aspects of our criminal justice system. Uh, We see that African-Americans are uh, several times more likely uh, to be killed via the death penalty. Uh, And also, we know uh, that there have been many, many uh, African-Americans, particularly African-American men, who have been exonerated, uh, who sat on death row, uh, and whose life, uh, some of them, their lives have already been taken. Some were in the process of being taken. And if that doesn't uh, send shivers down uh, the spine of everyone uh, and become a clarion call as to why we need to get rid of the death penalty everywhere uh, in America, uh, then I don't know what else will.
6: And to that point, are you hopeful that this will spur other states to take a serious look uh, at this? Uh, Illinois uh, was one of the first that made it clear they were going to stop uh, executing people uh, and, and, and again, uh, every time we see one of these stories of uh, a brother spending 20, 25, 30 years on death row uh, is shocking. I'm from Texas and I remember uh, Clarence Brantley. I mean, he was literally within hours of yes. being executed uh, a right. couple of times and was later determined that he did not kill the white cheerleader in Conroe, Texas. He was right. that close to being put to death, being murdered by the state. And that's what it is. Being right. murdered by the state,
19: right? That's right. And and you mentioned Texas. We of course, you know, you have those stories everywhere. You have the death penalty. Uh, we had Earl Washington uh, here in Virginia, uh, and so many other cases around our nation. Uh, Roland, we uh, if we don't recognize and change that history, then we're simply all doomed to repeat it. Uh, I don't know how many cases we have to have uh, of. You know, many different types of people, but particularly African-American men, over and over and over again, uh, being wrongfully charged, wrongfully convicted, uh, in some cases, you know, executed uh, or placed near execution. I mean, how many times do we have to go through that uh, story uh, until we decide that it must be different this time? Um, And in Virginia, that's really the statement uh, that we are making, that it must be and it will be different. Uh, For the next 400 years in Virginia, they will be very different than the last 400 years. Uh, We're getting rid of the racist uh, vestiges of uh, that past. Uh, And we've got to do that throughout our entire criminal justice system. But uh, we know uh, that this is a big, huge step forward. um, And we want to recognize that. And hopefully this will spur that kind of change to eliminate the death penalty and abolish it uh, everywhere uh, around our nation. We've got to stand up with courage it is critical uh, to be able to make change. To first stand up for what is right, and not only not always what is popular. Uh, sometimes you have to do things that go against um, you know the prevailing viewpoints at the time to get to where we can and should be. Uh, and that's really uh, what today symbolizes uh, in so many ways. The next 400 years of Virginia and of America, and what's possible.
6: All right, Lieutenant Governor D- D- Justin Fairfax of Virginia, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Roland. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Kelly, this is a huge, huge uh, move here, and uh, as you as said there, it, it, you just can't uh, imagine. I, I, I cannot imagine um, someone, I can't imagine being on death row for 25, 30 years and coming Close to being put to death, and you didn't do it. The uh, this guarantees that even if somebody is wrongfully convicted, the state can't screw up and put them to death.
7: Yeah, and that is key in this. You know, whether you support the death penalty or not, the fact of the matter is, it is a flawed system in that we have a, a, a disproportionate amount of. Uh, people on death row who are black, who are wrongfully convicted. And as their time for, you know, um, their execution comes, that's when people, you know, get on the ball and try and save their life and whatnot. It's not really like the 15 years prior. It's usually like in the 11th hour and 59th minute. With things, uh, with with policies such, and laws rather, such as what uh, Virginia just passed down today, those situations, at least in that state, aren't going to happen lives will literally be saved. And it's something to be said that the state that housed the Confederate capital, the capital of the Confederacy, the antithesis of of racism and and the preservation of enslaved bodies in this country, that state is the state to abolish the death penalty. It, It needs to be said that other states, um, that were not only in the Confederacy, but other states that still have the death penalty on the books, also need to follow, because this isn't a matter of, you know, eye for an eye. Until the policies are in place where everybody has a fair shot in making sure that those on death row actually deserve to be there, there doesn't need to be a death row, because otherwise it's just murder unnecessarily so at the hands of the state.
6: You know, the um... A couple of series ago was the 36th anniversary of my grandfather's passing, and um, I was 15. And that actually was the first major death that I experienced. And that actually kicked in, this fear of death. Um, And it it led to panic attacks. It just consumed me. Um, And uh, it's something that has never left me. And I remark all the time to people, death is death. There's no, this ain't Lazarus. Mm-hmm. This is not, then I can come back a year later. It's finality. Right? That's it. And so, for people who act as if, you know, uh, we should fight these things and no, 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 I hear people, no, no, you've got to uh, take them out, condemn them. I, I think there are, there are clear examples where an individual is absolutely guilty, where we see it, they've admitted it, I mean, absolutely. But when I've seen these, when I've seen these Texas and North Carolina, Louisiana and Virginia and Missouri, when I look at what the Innocence Project Project is doing, no reasonable person can say that the state should be putting people to death when we know for a fact That there have been people who have been convicted by juries that were racist, by DAs that removed black jurors, by DAs that withheld evidence, or just simply folk got it wrong based upon eyewitness testimony. I would rather have somebody fighting for their life in the appeals court been put to death where there's no chance of being exonerated.
8: That's right. Because when you, like you said, when you're dead, you're dead. And so I I just think, um, especially with the Innocence Project, we have seen so many people, uh, Cases be overturned because the DNA just did not match the crime, and so it's better to err on the side of caution. And we know that black people have been charged and accused of many crimes that we have not done. And whether it is in the criminal justice system or whether it is just, you know, downright uh, the justice system of those who have been racist, they like to kill black people and sometimes without just cause and for you know and at whim. So I would prefer, and I'm glad that that uh, Virginia is leading the South in abolishing the death penalty because for, enough is enough.
6: And for all of the people who are watching, for all of y'all who, rolling, why are you sitting here? You know, you support them damn Democrats. They ain't done this, they ain't done that. I don't know why you always talking about voting. Republicans in Virginia would have never abolished the death penalty. Republicans in Virginia would have never granted voting rights to the formerly incarcerated. So, and I'll say this, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. But I damn sure I'm smart enough to ask... Which of these two are more in line with where I stand on important issues. And if that means electing more Democrats to outlaw the death penalty, so be it. Because I got a better shot at communicating and convincing a Democrat than I do a Republican who don't give a damn about putting somebody to death. Hell, They'd rather have five executions a week and put it on television like it's a nightly television show. That is a fact. Going to a break when we come back. African-American has a new app that you might want to use if you get stopped by a cop. We'll discuss that next on Roland Martin Fulton.
11: If people begin to believe that their democracy is fraudulent, if they conclude that voting is a charade,
12: the system is rigged, then God knows what could happen. They rigged an election. They rigged it like they've never rigged an election before. Actually, we do know what could happen.
9: It's
2: happening right now. The U.S. Capitol overrun, under siege. Pro-Trump extremists storming inside, flooding the halls, reaching the floor of the House of
12: Representatives and the Senate.
11: Millions of Americans sincerely believe the last election was fake.
12: It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it. We will! When thousands
9: of your countrymen storm the Capitol building, if you don't bother to pause and
12: learn a single thing
11: from it, then you're a
12: fool. I know your pain, I know your hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. We got to
11: this sad, chaotic day for a reason. It is not your fault, it is
19: their fault. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Packard. I'm
0: Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
6: All right, folks, uh, in our TikTok segment, nearly 100,000 Routine traffic stops happen every day, and independent studies show that three percent are misconducted. That results in nearly three thousand motorists a day potentially pulled over for no reason at all. Now there's an out that can help fix that. Joining me now to talk about this is the creator of the Safe Cop Stops Project, Mike Burrow. Mike, how you doing?
3: I'm doing good, my
6: friend. How you doing? All right. So, what led you to say, "Hey, I I I, I got to do this app"? Was it an incident? Were you involved in one? Was it something you saw on television? What was it?
3: It was a couple a couple of incidents actually that led up to the culmination of it. First of all, um, back in the early two thousands, my dad's brother, who was a deaf individual, was uh, pulled over and um, actually brutally assaulted by four officers um, doing a traffic stop. And my family ended up suing that police department and winning. But uh, fast forward uh, 2016, uh, my nephew uh, turned 16 years old and we were doing preparing a big party for him, um, you know, to give him a car to go out that evening. And uh, as I was coming home, I passed through a little town and uh, was about four or five cop cars had a young gentleman pulled over a young uh, black uh, teenager, he was probably 18 years old, and uh, he was laying across the hood of the car. And it's like we met eyes. And when I looked at him, it was just fear all over him. They had the doors open, the trunk open, the whole nine yards, and I just saw innocence all over this kid's face. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm on my way to give my 16-year-old nephew a vehicle to put him out here on these streets and that could have been him. And so on, when I got to the house, I asked my sister, I said, hey." you know, does does he know his rights as a motorist? Does he know how to protocol, how to, how to properly pull over, how to, you know, work through a routine traffic stop? And, you know, the answer was no, really none of us do. And so that was where it really started uh, back in 2016. And uh, so I, I did, you know, I did several years of R&D, meeting over 1,400 individuals, 50 police officers, and, and it kind of all came together as a combination of all those, all of that.
6: Um, uh, this obviously is, is critically important. So so how does the app work? Take us through it.
3: Well, it's, um, it's voice activated. It's actually, it's going to be on both platforms. So it's, it'll be iOS and Android. Um, iOS will be completely voice activated. And then Android version, it'll be voice activated, but you'll still have to push the SOS button. So it's, it's voice activated. You'll, you'll say a code word. So uh, the officer hits his lights. Um, you say that code word, you will have already downloaded up to 10 individuals into that app. And uh, it will send out a notification to all those individuals to say, hey, I'm being pulled over. Will you witness this with me? And so all those individuals will be able to see and hear what's happening as, uh, on the motor's phone. But we do have a premium um, Feature, which is called the Virtual Attorneys on Demand, which we're going to be working with about 200 attorneys nationwide, where uh, you'll actually be able to have an attorney uh, live in the vehicle with you to speak on your behalf. Is the um,
6: is is the is the app now live?
3: It is not live. Our actual launch date is May 17th. Uh, the iOS version is actually live right now in the App Store but it doesn't have all of the features downloaded. And so, uh, you know, that the, the Android version will actually be in beta around the 19th of April. We're going to work a few things out of it and then the actual launch nationally will be on uh, May the 17th.
6: Um, gotcha, and so uh, it will, um, again, it will, so you'll be able to, so if you get pulled over, you don't have to sit here, and so what, do you just hit Siri, is that, is that how it works?
3: Well, like I said, it's voice activated. So you'll be able to you'll be able to just say when you download the app into your phone, you'll put in a code word. And so you then you'll say Siri, and then that code word for for iOS and then for Android, you'll just um you'll say the code word and then it'll prompt you to hit the SOS button.
6: Questions from pound. Uh Kelly, I'll start with you. Um how
7: do you see this uh do you have any stats as to what could possibly happen if, once this is implemented, like, are there any stats regarding how this app could affect lives if it were in place today versus uh, not? Like, how, how is this used in, uh, in real life? Like, right now within the hypothetical, how do you see this being used in every day?
6: Well, you know, like I said, it's been four one second, years. One, se- one second, one second. Not in a hypothetical. You're saying, Mike, that right now you can download it on on iOS device, not Android, correct? That is correct. Right. So it's not hypothetical. It's now. It's it's the the app is live on iOS devices right now. That
7: oh, I heard. Got I it. thought he said it was not live. My apologies.
6: No, he said no, the app the app is live. Uh, but then by by May they'll be fully ready on Android and app um, uh and, and uh, iOS. Mike, go ahead.
3: Yeah, that that is correct, and so uh, you know. So in terms of how we could use it in real life today, uh, you know, in in the last several years, and all the the, the research that I've done, several families, uh, matter of fact, I get I get emails and phone calls constantly saying, you know, I'm ready for this. I've got a child off to school right now uh, that uh, has been summoned by the by an officer for no probable cause, and you know, an app like yours would be, you know invaluable right now and so there's a lot of anticipation for the app like i said but something with the you know cutting edge technology that we're using in this app it's taking a little time for development
8: d -hmm. so let me ask you a question so does it have to be mounted anywhere or is it just the aggravation of the voice saying Siri or whoever record this
3: That's how does this
8: work
3: yeah so even if the phone is if your phone is in your purse or whatever the, 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 through the voice activation, it'll actually send out the notifications. So let's just say um, you can't get to the phone. At least it'll start recording the the audio of it, and all of this information is actually recorded to a cloud. So and it's untampered evidence. So if you need it in a court of law, we'll have that in, that inf- information so that we can be downloaded for you.
8: Oh. oh, my goodness. This is cutting edge. This is awesome. Because, you know, I bought cameras uh, for all the cars for my husband, my sons, and my brother. Because I was just so concerned about all these stops. But this will just, you know, eliminate it all. I mean, this is awesome. Thank you so much.
6: My pleasure. All right, then, Mike. We're so appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much for joining us on today's Tech Talk segment. Thank you. Y'all yeah, have a good night, folks. Uh, that is it for us today. If you want to, I'm gonna say crazy about people for tomorrow. So y'all look for that tomorrow. If you want to uh, join our Brenda Funk Fan Club, every dollar that you give goes to support this show, our staff, the ability for us to do the work that we do. Think about it, y'all. I, I, I got I got MSNBC on right now, uh, and you know what? Uh, I I I've I, I been watching uh, Ari Melber's show, Joanne Reed's show, now Chris Hayes' show, uh, and. I I didn't see the Maryland HBCU story. Uh, I didn't see uh, the Virginia death penalty story. Uh, I certainly didn't see uh, Mike's there as well. Uh, They did do uh, voter suppression. uh, But the bottom line, folks, this is why we do what we do. Uh, And that is, and I definitely didn't see them talking about white identity politics, uh, about Meghan McCain. Uh, So this is why you got to support this show. This is black-owned, black-controlled. We don't sit here and ask permission to discuss the issues that matter to our people. We simply put them front and center. The opportunity for us to have the HBCU story, to talk with uh, HBCU presidents is vital. Right now, I'm looking at folks, we got uh, hundreds on Facebook, more than 3,000 watching on YouTube right now. Folks, you... Uh, If you're getting a free ride, that's fine. But look, your dollars matter. And so our goal, we're asking up to 20,000 people or even more to contribute 50 bucks a year uh, to what we do. That's $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. If you don't have that, I've had people who have given us $10. Literally, uh, we're live on the show. People have given us more as well. And so please. Uh, I ask you go to um, go to uh, cash app, dollar sign, RM unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash Martin unfiltered, venmo.com forward slash RM unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rollinsmartin.com. You can also reach us, uh, folks. You can also reach us. Uh, at Roland at Roland, com, You can send a money order to New Vision Media, Inc., 1625 K Street, Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. That's it for me. Folks, I will see you tomorrow. Thank you so very much, Mustafa, Kelly, and D for being a part of our panel today. Uh, y'all have a great one. Holla!